Hello, queens. Welcome back. I know, I know. Mm -hmm. you, you can drag me. I know it's been a while. But as I always say, I have to make sure that I'm bringing you the absolute best content. I'm so excited for you guys to listen to this season. I have a host of different topics coming up. We're going to be talking about therapy, shitting, vaginas, being black. What does being black mean? We're going to be talking about therapy. And speaking of therapy, you guys are going to be able to send us your listener letters. Yes, on, an, on a segment that we're calling the auntie segment. I'm so excited for it. We want to hear from you. We're excited to, to hear your questions, to hear your suggestions. Now, coming up on Black Queens Republic, I am going to be talking to a therapist. She's an amazing black woman from Vancouver. Vancouver. We discuss what therapy means for black people. Why is therapy important and why does it have to be specific? Why do black people have to be represented in the world of therapy? And most importantly, how can black people support their own mental health and well-being? Stay tuned. I have a very special guest. Please introduce yourself. Thank you for having me. So I have a few names. So what are we going to go with? Are we going with Runji? You call me Runji, right? Yes. Okay, let's go with Runji. But I also do go by Kaba Runji, of course, and I go by Glory as well. Mm -hmm. And I am, where do I start? Okay, I am a 29 going on 30-year-old woman, born and raised in Canada, in Ontario, in Newmarket. I know you had my sister CG on. I earlier did. she did amazing yeah. she did she did so that's my older sister and i moved i went from ontario spent some time in montreal and now i'm in bc in the greater vancouver area and i'm working as a therapist i officially graduated at the end of last month Yay. um and i'm like you like i love this topic i could go on about it for as long and as many times as you would like I love, I love therapy. I myself yes. go to therapy on a weekly basis. So yes, yeah. it has done wonders for me. I tell you, how does it feel to be like a new graduate? Like, are you going to have a party? I know I will do it because I know I should in the sense of, you know, people around me are wanting to, and I don't want to look back and regret not doing it. But for me, my real celebration is like, well, the first thing that I did to kind of treat myself was I decorated my room mm -hmm. because I moved in February and that was during, you know, my last semester thesis, all this stuff. So I was, my room was just bare. So mm -hmm. that was my celebration. And then I'm, I'm thinking of getting an Airbnb or a hotel to myself for like a week. You mm. know, we have the beaches out here in Vancouver. So that's the real celebration. <laughs> oh, yes. I like it. I like it a yeah. lot. Definitely mm -hmm. celebrate. That's amazing. And I'm so happy that there's a black therapist out there. Another one, you. you know? Yes, yes. That makes me you. so happy because then you can just approach things with blackness and yeah. Yeah, exactly. Literally pure joy congrats and and thank, thank you. you for for doing this because we need we need more black therapists because therapy is very is very white centric if i can say that oh uh, well a hundred percent and so i'm not done i'm gonna 
start my doctoral studies in September. So oh. after I finish that, I'll be a psychologist. And that's where I think, again, we really need black people at that level because, you know, there's, there's a lot of overlap between therapists and psychologists, but with, mm-hmm. as a psychologist, of course, you can do more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one thing, maybe we'll get into it later is assessments, right? And doing the diagnosis, right? Mm-hmm. So just think about how many people, especially black people might be misdiagnosed by white psychologists, mm-hmm. right? So I really want to, I really want to get to that level so I can do more. Girl, good for you. Thank you. I cannot believe you're going back to school. Ah, abomination. I can't do it. <laughs> I'd rather school. I don't know how people do like nine to five jobs. To me, that, that is, uh, that's hell. I would rather just keep doing school, school, school. <laughs> I can't see. I was working full time, 40 hours a week and mm. you know, for like, nine months and mm-hmm. it was just like all in the name of benefits like they were treating me like treating all the stuff really all the full-time stuff like shit right of course. And, it, and then everyone kept being like but you have benefits but you have and i was like you know what actually i just i wrote them a letter i'm like i don't want to do full-time anymore right. it's stressing me out so i'm on relief now working full-time but also choosing to be like, yeah, when I don't want to work, like I took out, I took six days off. I turned my app off. I'm not working. Nice. Yeah. I love that. I'll just pay my own benefits. It's all good. Like the hell. <laughs> exactly. So today we're going to talk about therapy, uh, different things. I think it's going to be a very long episode. So guys, you know, sit tight. Get your tea, mandazi, whatever you need, matoke, even listen to this over lunch or something. Mm. First, I want to find out when did you learn about therapy and what it was and and how did you decide to do it for a living? That's a good question. I think it was gradual steps. So when I was really, really young, I would see forms of therapy in a way, um, especially with my dad being a pediatrician. So I would know, I would love to sh- kind of shadow him in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with doctors, they do a little bit of, not therapy, but there's some talking involved, right? When you're, when you're helping somebody. But of course, it's much more about the physical health. Mm-hmm. And I really loved seeing that part. Or that's where I was interested in for him to tell me more about people's lives or their experiences or what they're going through more than, you know, the physical symptoms. So that was young. I think that gave me a bit of an idea. And then I think one thing that stands out, of course, was seeing Dr. Phil on TV. Oh, Lord. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. I, I like used to, I used to really get into that show. And that's when I was, I was like, wow, this is, this is a psychologist. And maybe before then I, I had heard of it. I can't really remember, but those pieces are what stand out to me. And then when I was 12, that's when I, I remember I was in LA and I was like, I want to be a psychologist. I want to live in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. From there, I steered away. I, I, when I went to McGill, I was doing um, secondary education. I wanted to be a high school teacher. Mm-hmm. So that's where I started in my undergrad. But then when I did the practicum experience, I'll never forget this one student who, you know, you could tell she was a bit one of the popular girls, mm-hmm. but she seemed to be having anxiety in the classroom, at least from what I was seeing. And I thought, there's no way I'm not the teacher to just ignore, see that, ignore that and focus Mm -hmm. on, you know, Shakespeare, 
capturing their ride, whatever the thing they they were teaching the students, mm-hmm. it's just not me. And I understand, you know, teachers they have their responsibility, they need to do their thing. But for me, it just didn't it didn't fit, so I switched over to psychology, mm-hmm. and and then yeah, from there I just continued into counseling for my master's. Amazing. Both of us are Ugandans, and mm-hmm. I know I grew up in Uganda, and so therapy, please. <laughs> <laughs> like that right right i can't tell you when i really i think it was like high school i think i was like there was a lot of bullying going on for me at school and the principal instead of like dealing with the bullies told my mom like why don't we just take her to an independent learning school cuz the, the there was like incessant bullying constantly and he's like, you know, and we'll arrange for a therapist at that school. The school that she would be going to is one where they have like counselors at the school. And so that's when I, you know, I literally had to leave my regular high school because they were worried that like, you know, the bullying was just getting out of hand. So that's when I first heard about him. I think my first therapist, his name was Jim. He was like, a really nice guy, mm-hmm. but I skipped all my appointments. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. So this is back home at that time? This is here. This is in Canada. Oh, I, I thought you were saying all of this happened back home. Okay. Okay. No, when I moved to Canada, I moved here like in grade seven, around 12 years old. I remember. The bullying, <laughs> yeah, the bullying was <laughs> continuous. Like it just mm. kept going and going and going. And then. The principal was like, honestly, we don't know what to do, but to just remove you out of the school. Ah, I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. How, how was that for you? I know you, you buy into time, it a bit. Mm-hmm. it felt like the best decision. Like I was, because okay. my mother would not let me leave school. She was so like hell bent on being like, you have to go to school. Education is the key. <laughs> right. Right, and I'm right. like, my, I, they're literally making my life a living hell. And for some reason, yeah. I really never cared. I not didn't care, but I don't know why me being happy was not a thing. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was yeah, like, yeah. I'm miserable. She's like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> and so what? So you're only miserable from 9 p.m. to 3 p.m., 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. So you can't come back home and be happy. Ah. Oh. <laughs> so I'm like, good mommy. Like, I miss, eh, and so. Do you know what I went through when I was trying to escape Idi Amin? Do you know what? Oh. Do you know I was in secondary school and Idi Amin soldiers were outside my classroom? Did I stop going to school? So I was oh like, God. God damn, and you can't, I can't compete with that. All these kids oh, were doing man. was calling me a fat, ugly bitch and posting pictures ah. of me on Facebook. That was about, and I didn't have no soldiers outside my classroom. God damn. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, oh, when my man. principal made that, and another difference, if I can say, <laughs> is you know, with all due respect to your mom, but another difference is the entire class is going through that, right? The entire country they're going through that, but this yeah. is just you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so it's different. <laughs> it was the hottest mess. It was the worst. When I got older, I think my mom she came around and she was like. You know, I'm sorry. I didn't realize how much mm-hmm. this caused. Cause she realized, like, I literally, 
I just stopped talking. I would just stay in my room. Wow. And it became, it became really scary for her. Right. Yeah. I would just yeah. never leave my room. I would never get out of the house. It got so bad that I was terrified of getting out of my, my house. Like I would only really? leave the house when it was dark outside. Wow. Then, like you didn't want people to see you. I did, yeah, I didn't want people to see me. The low self-esteem was so bad. But I think that's when um my mother was like, okay, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. We'll just mm-hmm. fine, fine. We'll go wow, to a good okay. school. And I liked the school that I went to. All the kids left school for the same reasons I did. And so wow. there was no bullying. There was nothing. I remember, like, people were so nice to me. I was so shocked. Wow. And and I graduated from that school. Still graduated on time, but you know. Oh nice. Didn't do well in high school to be honest with you. You didn't um, do one high school? Mm-hmm. Not really. Yeah. <laughs> didn't really do well up until that point. And yeah. post secondary I think I started to take life seriously. Right. I yeah, I I started taking it seriously in grade twelve. Up to then, I was chilling, skipping, laughing, <laughs> having fun. And then you just scramble at the end. You're like, yeah, I gotta be. But then yeah. it was the last year. <laughs> the last yeah. Year, okay. So for me, therapy was not something that I discussed in my household. Is that something that you guys talked about openly growing up at home? Yes, to some degree. I think if you compare it to other Ugandan homes, yes. But like I said, I think because my dad was already in the medical field, a eh? so mm-hmm. there's that more of that op- and, and working with children and teens, so mm-hmm. he would ca- see that in kids a lot. So in that way, and then also I have two, well, three older sisters, but two who are significantly older, mm-hmm. and they went through a lot with their um, mental health and behavioral challenges, family challenges, that sort of thing. So. We, you know, had a little bit more of that space than I think other other homes did, but but it's still little, right? And it was a lot more like, okay, well, antidepressants or therapy that um, CBT, right, cognitive behavioral therapy, which doctors love that, right? Oh but, yes, yeah. Right. I have my own opinions about CBT, so it was more. Just about that, but I mean, still not not like a huge conversation. Mm-hmm. I want to get into talking about you know being black and how you know being black is in itself is full of trauma. No matter mm-hmm. what type of black person you are, you're a black person from the Caribbean, black person from Africa, anywhere. Mm-hmm. We have experienced generational trauma from the time that white people decided to come to Africa and be like, eh uh-huh. you know, and, and do, they did hor- horrible things. And, and do you believe that even though whether black people choose to realize it or not, or when black people are may- maybe not necessarily at the level of where most, because we know like in, in countries like in the Western world, most black people are living in poverty. Um, there are mm-hmm. those that aren't, that, you know, the few percentage that are doing well for themselves. But do you think that, like, intergenerational trauma has a lot to do with how we mature as people as opposed to maybe white people? 
or or the rest of the other races does 100% it, does it really impede on on how we are how we develop oh 100% mm-hmm. from before you're born mm-hmm. and then throughout your life especially if there's no interventions you know from medical mental health spiritual you know inter- environmental if there's no interventions it, it will just continue and continue. But, um, yeah, I think that you, like, we can even just consider stress, right? The amount of stress that our, you know, we can look at our mothers, um, our grandmothers have been under because of the circumstances that you described. It affects the baby, right? It affects them. It affects us. So, you know, you can have, you can have that as a black person that can be in your history. And let's say you're born into a healthy home where you're loved and nurtured and cared for and seen and fed and all of these wonderful things. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, there's still that drive in your genetics, you know, and, and, and it, you know, it might be okay, right? That the environment might overcome all of that, but there's still that in you, I believe. I think that also it's in the culture too, right? Some, some of the ways that we might have learned or been shown how to acknowledge or process or deal with our trauma or mm-hmm. behave in relationships. Some things that we might see as normal, I think can also be signs of that trauma. As well, like I could keep going. I think the last thing I would say for that is mm-hmm. I tend to think that in mental health, we like to use that term of generational trauma, intergenerational trauma. I think, you know, from a spiritual lens, people might say generational curses. From yes. um, medical, they might say like genetic predispositions. I think mm-hmm. it's, it's, we're talking about similar things, but from different angle, angles and using different language. Um, and, and now, generational trauma is becoming more recognized mm-hmm. and accepted. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and speaking of trauma, let's talk about what it means to be a black woman. You know, for, for both of us being an African woman, they, there is a culture, there is an expectation of from the time that you're born, some things, I think some, some of these expectations are unspoken, but mm-hmm. they are there. Um, yeah. I know like for me growing up, my mother, my mother was a feminist in my opinion. And she, wow. she was always, you know, feminist for her time. Yeah. Yeah. She's always like, yeah, don't kneel down. Mm-mm. Are they good? Like, those things, <laughs> you know, and in, yeah. in Ugandan culture where you have to kneel down when you're greeting and all those things or when you're serving. Right. My mother was like, no, my child is not your slave. Like, she will be mm-hmm. respectful. She'll serve you, your juice, but she's not nearly, <laughs> you know? Don't kill me, your juice. Yeah. <laughs> but like, she's not kneeling down. But then there were other parts of growing up where, you know, I have two older brothers and it was so evident that I was the female child. Right. My dad would always be like, you know, you're a woman, don't leave the house anyhow. Like, I always had to be sort of policed. My movements 
had to be policed. He had to know where I was 24-7. You know, there was no leeway to really just explore. My brothers, he always said, ah, they are men. They can do whatever. Mm. But there was always, yeah, there was always like an impression that I was in imminent danger. Mm -hmm. Simply by being a woman and and i think that's the the most my mother is ah, you know we, we can't have uncles at the house sleeping over because i have a i have a daughter or yes, yeah if any man if any boy is over he has to be my daughter's age because you know i have a daughter like wow. so there is that and, and you hear it a lot in in other families like where Mothers are always like, ah, oh, no, you have to be careful with uncles. You have to be careful with, with with men, and you have to be careful with this. There's always an impression that naturally, when you're born as a woman, you're in danger. Exactly. Yes, that's what I mean about it. it's in the culture. Like this is. Yeah. Are, but why is the yeah. onus on on women to then? Why do women have to be extra vigilant? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, but in the same breath, we also teach women that the last goal after university is to get married. Exactly. And that their value is in their ability to be a mother and a wife. Mm-hmm. And yet we mm-hmm. spend we spend their whole lives telling them how dangerous men are. Exactly. Yes. Yes. So how do Exactly. You, that's confusing. It, it's, it's confusing for the mind and it's confusing to the body. So what happens What's going to happen if that's been your experience, you get married and then now, okay, go have sex. How is your body really going to relax, be open, trust, enjoy that experience, have a full orgasm? Like, you know what I mean? It it affects so much. To this person that you've been taught in your life until the end of fourth year university, where now your father is like, hey, you're finished. Come on. Exactly. Exactly. At that point, you were taught, be careful of men. Yeah. Men are to be, you're supposed to be careful of them. And, and I have to admit, I'm, I'm 30 now and it's very confusing because there's a huge part of me every time I am interested in a man, which doesn't happen often. (laughs) Yeah. The one time that it does. <laughs> I'm, there's always that thing in the back of my mind, like, what if he's dangerous? What if yes, exactly. I get harmed? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At the same time, I almost feel, I feel like, oh, I like him, he's cute, but at the same time, is he dangerous? Could he harm me? It's a very confusing time in my brain. Yeah. Oh my gosh. They're, like, it's, my mind is like, where do, where do I go? Where do I respond? Because there's so much I could say. Yeah. And like, and like this, but yes, the, the confusion that that brings, the anxiety that that brings, the energy that you're carrying, right? So how is the man, the man perceiving this? Especially, okay, so what if you're like that, uh, and you go for a man who's not from your cultural background? Like, there's just, there's a lot of different places that you could go with that. You think <laughs> I don't even know where. I just, uh-huh. and that's just to name us just one part of, the culture that that yeah i've particularly had a hard time with we can even we can even talk about the idea that 
this thing of like, you know, when a woman is too educated, then she somehow she's you're over going to school, which man will marry you type mentality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, uh, uh, do <laughs> like who cares? And like, like somehow it always is. It always comes down to how will men perceive you? How will <sighs> You know, exactly. you don't clean your room. Who will marry you if you don't? <laughs> mm-hmm. It's it's true. Yeah, some people have that with the makeup and everything. It, it keeps going like that. I remember I went to Uganda in 2013 mm-hmm. for about two months, and there was this guy. He he was around my age, mm-hmm. handsome guy. And he was around my family quite a bit. And so I got to talking to him. Of course, we were the, the only two young ones there. And, you know, it was nice, a little bit of talking, a little bit of flirting. Mm-hmm. And then we were talking about what we want for our futures. And he was telling me what he's into. And then I was telling him, oh, I, I want to do this. I want to uh, be a psychologist. And then I want to open up orphanages. And I want this. I want to write. I want to travel. And then he said, you know, men aren't going to like that, right? Oh. And I was so immediately, like, turned off. You know those moments, there's a moment where you look at somebody and their face changes? Yeah. They're no longer attracted. <laughs> That's what happens. I remember we were in, in Faro <laughs> with Tyrese. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, I remember it. Um and yeah, from then I was just like, ooh, and 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 it just feels like this, this like this like bubble in your stomach just it yes just drops, yeah, yeah, and and I think I've gotten the, I mean, I would say my dad and my mom, they're I would describe them as realists, and I'm a, I think I'm a realist as well, mm-hmm. and I had a conversation with them not too long ago, and my dad was saying, you know. Whoever you would like to marry, mm-hmm. you have my support. But if you also would like my advice just to consider is to be with somebody who has at least a bachelor's degree or has a job where they, you know, feel comfortable, stable and successful in. Because, you know, now that you're going, you know, you have your master's, you're going to doctoral level. Some men out of their insecurities can feel threatened by that and can treat you poorly. And he gave an example of, of a couple who he saw that in, right? And I respect that the way that he approached that. Like, it's mm-hmm. not like you have to, but mm-hmm. he gave that honest type of opinion. And I think that that is, um, that is an unfortunate reality that it's hard for me to grasp because for me, school is just something I love. Like I don't see it as, oh, I'm I'm smarter than somebody because I have more education, and someone who has more education than me is is smarter. Like I don't value, I don't weigh it or measure it in that way. So mm-hmm. I don't realize if somebody's going to be intimidated by that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In keeping on this topic of you know, generational trauma. Let's talk about what this has meant systemically. We know that, for example, the biggest example of how generational trauma has continued is in how 
black men are treated by the system mm-hmm. not just black men but predominantly black men being mm-hmm. targeted by the police the black neighborhoods are over policed mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and what what is your take on the prison system and do you think that they provide therapy in prison like cuz it doesn't seem like they do cuz people don't really reform if i'm being honest when they come out of jail exactly i would imagine that they like i don't know too much about the prison system so some of it is just i'm taking a little bit from what i know about it and then what i know about this field and and kind of piecing it together but i don't think so it's not you know in my degree we never like we're told like oh and one opportunity or something you could do is work in a prison right and uh, and i think it goes back to those things right looking at it as they don't want to give those services to to black people black men and i think god forbid black men do good in life yeah exactly yes yeah and there's so much stigma and mm, strong opinions about mental health issues mm-hmm. and when it comes to issues that might land somebody in jail or you know like antisocial personality disorders right so those like sociopath psychopath oppositional defiant disorder conduct disorder aggression sexual some of the sexual disorders you know how depression in men it can come up through anger so those kind of things that might you know increase the chances of somebody going into jail mm-hmm. there's a lot of strong opinions that when somebody is that way that's who they are and we can almost we can encourage people to demonize people with those types of personality types or those disorders so like some professionals might look at it as a lost cause schizophrenia would be another one right i don't know if that's really making sense but so some people might see it as like ah it's kind of a lost cause to spend yeah. your time there that's who they are they'll always be that way and we need to mm-hmm. keep them away to, to for the good of yeah. society to protect so that's just my guess i i didn't read that in a book mm-hmm. i could be completely wrong but i'm thinking maybe that adds to it as and i think and i think the mission of 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 white people when they created these systems was to keep black people in a place where they could still be controlled 100% control somebody let's let's even talk about the education system we don't talk about you know the history of slavery slavery colonization I don't know if you learned this. I don't remember learning it a lot in elementary school or high school. I know we were beaten over the head about the Holocaust in then. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's obviously and I always wondered like is it because white people died and so somehow when white people die it's 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 more worthy of being talked about and and don't get me wrong I'm not saying that the holocaust is anything to to chew about yeah it's yeah a horrible mm-hmm. thing that happened and and uh but it's it's amazing that we discussed that in length but we don't talk about 
the other things that happen. We don't talk about colonialism. We don't talk about slavery. We don't talk about how white people massacred the entire planet yeah. in the name of colonization. Exactly. And for me, you know, having read up about, you know, I've been reading a lot about like, you know, how black people came to be and, and sort of the history of things. And what it seems like to me is the prison system is just another way of enslavement. It's just another way of, you know, making sure that black people do not get anywhere. Because when you look at the black family, we like to blame it. You know, I, I know like in the black community, we like blaming gay people. They are taking away our fathers. Like, no, they're not. <laughs> yeah. But really what it is, I, I think to me, is when you break down, when you take father black men away from their families, mm -hmm. I think white people understand that the family is, is an important thing for children yeah. to have. The, the father and the mother are important. And so how can we create strife in the lives of black people? We'll take away the head, essentially. Exactly. Yes. And we'll put I him think, in jail. Yes. And if I could add with that, the fam, the white people, I believe, they know that the family is important, mm -hmm. but it's especially important for black people, right? Yes. It's especially important to have that, you know, a black woman can seem more appealing and controlled if she's married or controllable. Um if black people have less access to education, to jobs, you know, there's an increased need for a two, what's it called? Two parent income or whatever, two sources of income. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think even in that way, I think, uh, you know, let's say there's a, a employed put together white woman who's a single mother an employed put together black woman who's a single mother. I think there'd be different ideas about each of those. So, yes. yes, I think it's especially important. They know that it's especially important for black people. Yeah. yeah. And I think when they came to Africa, they saw that <clears throat> even we, we, we see it now when we, we go to Uganda, we are a community type people. Yeah. We rely yeah. on our communities to, to thrive and to, to get better. We, we are not an individualistic type people. And so when you take mm -hmm. the community, away mm -hmm. from black people, you, you break them down in, in a big way. Yes. That you exactly. don't when it's white people. And and when white women are single mothers, no one butts an eye. It's like, look at this strong, ah, oh, Karen, she's just so strong and she's raising yes. babies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But when a black woman, don't let a black woman be a single mom. No. And... Oh yeah, she must have been irresponsible. I will never forget. Exactly. It goes to her character, not her yeah. circumstances. White woman, it's her circumstances. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then when we, then we put black men in jail, right? But then when they, when they try to come out and, and do better, they have criminal records or they have felonies exactly. or whatever. And then, then he feels like absolute disgustment because he yeah. can't provide for his home. Exactly. And what is yeah. he left to do at this point? Go back. Exactly. And then the mental health comes in again. Because what does that do to your mental health? If you're told 
that your value is to provide, mm-hmm. to protect, mm-hmm. and the systems around you are preventing you from doing that. Mm-hmm. If that's what you're told is your purpose, your meaning, your entire value as a human being, mm-hmm. what does it mean when that's taken away from you? How is that going to impact your mental health? Have you seen the movie on a documentary on Netflix? I think it came out last year called Crack. Conspiracy no. something, something. Oh my gosh, you gotta watch it. It's so good. It's talking about, it's talking about how, but like the war on drugs and how crack and the Reagan administration and Clinton and, or Bush and how that led to just so many, like the destruction. So many black, black men being put in jail and oh, you would love it. But anyways, I'll take us a bit off topic, but yes, watch that. Yeah. I'm gonna still see that. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I know there's there's a few different points that you brought in there and mm-hmm. is there something in particular that that you want a thread that you want us to stay with? I I want to talk about let's talk about black men. Mm-hmm. And therapy because mm-hmm. when we go back to I was talking to to somebody and I and I when we go back to far 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 back to the days of slavery, there's a different way in which uh, white people broke down black men. And you see it in how, at least for me, at least uh, when I see it, it's like they, they, this idea that you don't express yourself, you don't, you're supposed to just be this rough, uh, you just have this like rough exterior. Mm-hmm. And I think, I was reading about, I was reading a book by, uh, an essay by Webb Debois, and he talked mm-hmm. about the difference in which white people, with, with, I think with black women, they used different methods to, mm-hmm. to traumatize, but I think with black men, they used like actual physical torture. Wow. Yeah. And if they, they would, they would continue if he didn't, if he showed that he was affected type thing. And this was something. Oh, yes, that sounds familiar. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is something that continued throughout with, with black women. And I'm not saying it's less, but it was more emotional abuse and like sexual abuse. But with black men, it was physical, extreme, like physical violence. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And even when, when he talks about like who was, the lynchings, those were always black men. When white people would go and watch lynchings, it was black men who were there, who were typically, when it, when it was like, who, who was the slave who was being sold, it was typically, they would, the way they would sell black men is like, he's strong and he can carry this much on his back. And, and you know, they would put chains around him and maybe put like a truck and say, see, he can, look what he can do. Mm-hmm. This, this reminds me of athletics. Yeah, I know it's a bit different, but it reminds me of that now, like that your strength and how, like how well can you do under under pressure and how good do you play mm-hmm. on the field or on the court. And anyways, anyways, I won't go down there, but yes. Yeah. So so then I started to think about that and how that has sort of played out now with black men. Mm-hmm. And how we, we perceive them, we, we tell them that if you're not this like rough, 
just insufferable, like just completely, <laughs> yeah. and that they're not men. Yeah. But in the same breath, we are also upset when they're that way. Exactly. Yes. So, and, and I, I would say like, I'm one of those people that I'm learning, obviously, but I'm one of those people that is very, like, there's a huge part of me that doesn't get why black men behave the way they do. Right. And so I, I took the time to sort of, I'm like, okay, I'm going to read some literature and see where this comes from. Mm-hmm. In the same, in the same breath, I'm like, okay, I still don't deserve for you to do, do, to do this to me. But at the same time, I'm like, well, how are, how are they supposed to know any better? Exactly. So do you think, essentially my question is, do you think like with all of that in mind, mm-hmm. is it, how are we going to get black men to be, to have this conversation? How can we be like, you know, we get it, we understand, and, and let's let's have a conversation. I think, okay, going to my, my realist instinct, what brings mo- many people to these conversations is crisis, mm. is pain, is threat, right? Like some people, you're, you're like, let's say somebody with that, description but of a more extreme example but gets into a conflict at work is required to do therapy for anger management you know drug abuse sometimes it takes that it takes those circumstances for people to have those conversations with a therapist or just with others in their community so i think that is not something that we should encourage but i think that's the likelihood that's the way and for me when i see men in the therapy room I haven't seen a black man yet for counseling, but when I see men in the therapy room, it's usually out of those kinds of circumstances. Mm-hmm. But I also think if we want to just encourage those conversations without it having to come as, you know, part of a treatment plan after crisis would be through definitely like kind of going into environments where people are already feeling comfortable. Mm. So maybe if it's in film, in television, in music, if it is, you know, in environments where there are like led, for example, by a black therapist or by a, a black psychologist, if you show interest in having that conversation with somebody who Anybody, any black man who's out there from any field and just, you know, sitting down and saying, I just want to hear your perspective. I would love to talk to you about this and not trying to, you know, change their responses, but just hearing from them how they put it. I think those are some ways that we can start those conversations. I'm thinking of a the voice, but for black mm-hmm. men. That like singing competition show? Yes, the voice. Not that they will be singing, of course, but somewhere yeah. it's like a room, right? Mm-hmm. And he can't see anybody. I, have you ever seen like confessions of the Catholic Church? Like when when? No, when I'm so into. Confess. I'm down for that though. When, oh, like you can watch. You can listen to people's confessionals. 
Yeah, like like black. Oh, I love that. Room. There's a psychologist on the other side. They don't know what he looks like, and they just go in and they just talk. Yes, yes. That's see, like something like that. Like that. And, that's and, wonderful. And just just air it out. You know, just talk. And you know he doesn't know them. They don't know him. The therapist doesn't know what you look like. You can yeah. use whatever name you want. Yeah. And then you go in, and then you just you just talk about stuff because. Yeah. I remember, like you, you've seen my Instagram. I call people out a lot, particularly mm-hmm. men and white people, because they're <laughs> the ones who are, you know, they're the ones who are just the vein of my. Just, just the thorn in my flesh. Yes, the <laughs> patriarchy. I, yeah, mm-hmm. the, they come in my DMs and they, I, I don't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. But back then, I used to be like, first of all, bitch, you don't, if you don't like my Instagram, motherfucker. Like that used to be me. But <laughs> now, I'm more so like, you know, honestly, I wish you healing because I, I say things like, this is a trauma response. Oh my gosh. And uh-huh. they, and I expected them to be like, oh my God, Jane, like, I know, I, I was about to tell you, do you know they cussed me out? That, that's, that's why I said, oh my God, I was thinking, girl, you're coming on too strong. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're coming on too strong. And that, and that is one. I thought I was being good. I was like, you are doing good if you're having the conversation with certain people can handle that. Even some woman can't handle that. I literally told him or to tell them, I'm like, okay, I see that this is a trauma response and I see that I triggered you. <laughs> I, I wish you and then I it's wish like, you healing. <laughs> and then they said, fuck you, Jane. Who the hell are you to tell me? And then I get cussed out. I'm like, but I'm, I'm over here like being on your team, you know? But I yes. guess that that's a bit much. Okay. But some people can handle it. But I think most, most people can't. Um, and especially if you were, if you're a woman saying that to a man, if you're a black woman, oof, you know, like it, it, it adds those layers, which is frustrating. But I would imagine someone like that, you know, when he goes and takes his, his like 2 a.m. shower, he's thinking about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they, <laughs> they, they got even more pissed when I was like, bitch, get off my page. <laughs> Like, oh, why, why are you more tolerable of me being like, shut the fuck up, as opposed to me being like, bro, trauma response, I hope you get help. Yeah, because you, you, it's like you're poking somebody right in, in their belly right. button. <laughs> you're like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's you very know. uncomfortable. It is, you know, I've been. I'm not of- telling you to stop. I'm, yeah. I, I, I'm just saying like, I it think makes sense from, now, though, because I was thinking okay. like I'm helping, you know. <laughs> you're, you're, you're help. You're. I think you are closing a door that could have remained open, and if that door had remained open mm-hmm. later down the road, you could find a way to say to that. do it. Or like, for example, as a therapist, mm-hmm. somebody will come in, and you know, first, second, second session, I'm like, oh, this is clearly this, but. You gotta, you know, you don't act dumb. You just, you hold you don't back. Come for them, like come, come and just say it. Like, okay, I exactly. think exactly. No, you and 
you empower the other person as well. So, you know, it's in the way, the questions that I might ask, mm-hmm. the validating, the body language, the time, the silences, all of these skills. Girl, nobody is has leading time for that on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Don't kill me. But it's leaving the person to say it on their own. Ah. Uh, and okay. you know what I mean? That yeah. because then they can come out and say it and, and they'll they'll come it, it it just it doesn't put them on the the defense or trigger them. Fair. Right? Fair. Now let's talk about I wanna give you a scenario that happened. Uh Nipsey Hustle, rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Nipsey Hussle, when he was alive, he, he did have a, just a few controversies and just a few minor, you know, not minor, but he wasn't a big fan of the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. Um, Nipsey Hussle, do you know the, the founder of, uh, A Sprinkle of Jesus? Uh, no. My name is, is Chanaya. A Sprinkle of Jesus is a, is an app. Um, and so you download it and then every day it sends you a Bible verse. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. I see people post screenshotting it for Snapchat to show Mm -hmm. that they've done their devotionals. Mm -hmm. Of course. Um, because that's necessary. (laughs) (laughs) So Nipsey Hussle posted a video of a I don't remember but it was a picture of I believe people from the LGBTQ plus community. Mm-hmm. And or I think it I can't remember if it was a picture of the LGBTQ community or it was a picture of him and his buddies. Right. Actually I think I think it was a picture of him and his buddies and like a bunch of other black men. And it was basically like this is this is what black men should look like this is what what this is what it is to be a black man it's not about wearing a dress or it's not about rapists he he literally said it's not about being we're not all rapists murderers lgbtq this 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 we don't we don't all wear dresses we don't all wear makeup we're not drag queens so he he lumped the alphabet community with rapists and murderers and and things which was mm-hmm. so unnecessary mm-hmm. you know yeah. the other the other side of this was a christian woman as the, i told you mm-hmm. about i forget her name but she is you know she's the typical you know what women look up to be she's light-skinned you know she got her light-skinned babies <laughs> yeah and uh she's in a very successful marriage that looks like it's full of bliss and happiness and 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 love and and Jesus and all that stuff mm-hmm. and so I don't know do you know like Af- what is his name African ape he's a comedian there's a bunch of comedians that pretend to be women um there's oh. BK baby there is a bunch of them do it on Instagram. No, I don't know them. Yeah. So anyways, she then also says, this is why the black man cannot get anywhere because he is out here emulating ghetto, uh, disgusting black women. And we're laughing at it. We're laughing at the black man. We're mocking the black man. Just because they're doing comedy. So like, for example, Madea, 
like Madia to me, she's just funny, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you have I don't know if you've watched Big Mama with Martin Lawrence. She also talks right. about that and how that is the emancipation of the black man. I, I don't know. I don't buy it. I want I want to get your take on these two people because you know it's it's very tempting to be like ah these black men, but a black woman is out here saying the same thing. I want to get your take on on those types of because they do play a big part in in why black men believe they should be how they are. My perspective is. People don't like black, okay, I shouldn't say people don't like black people, but people who don't like black people don't like black people. Mm-hmm. You have Mrs. Doubtfire, right? Robin Williams. That probably skyrocketed his career. I love watched that, that I, movie, by the way. I've watched, exactly. I the script. <laughs> yes, yes, I love that movie. You have, and Richard then, Simmons. Rich, right, right, but I'm thinking of like, Oh, and of course, just in general, you know, the LGBTQ plus community, right? With how um, much progress that they have seen, specifically white or white passing people in that community. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's those elements of, um, you know, dressing like a woman or, oh, when you have like Addison Ray and the Demelio girls, people who take these dances from black, um, black people and put it on TikTok, TikTok and are now millionaires and getting deals and hanging out with the Kardashians, all of this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's those things. I don't think it's wearing a dress or doing your acrylic nails or speaking in a, in a certain accent that is holding black people back because, you know, you see white people doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. I think people who don't like black people don't like black people. I think if, if black people were doing something else, it might still be, I don't know. Those are my first thoughts. I'm not like a hundred percent settled on that answer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely think that that's one element of it. In general, as it's almost like you are in different lanes, right? With if we were to talk about black and white, we're in different lanes. So in the white lane, yes, years ago, wearing a dress and um talking like you, you know, uh, weren't educated in the same way, you know, in terms of your your language and your slang, um, like not talking the British, whatever English type of language those things would hold you back but the white lane is a faster lane so i think where they're at in 2021 that's not something that holds them back i think right now in our lane as black people it's still holding us back and maybe in the future it won't right there's more except like for somebody like will Nas x it seems like he is facing still a barrier but not as much as we might expect as a as a black dark skinned man but yes yeah. for sure i think what it really boils down to for me it's two things i think we hate black women mm-hmm. i think there's a general hate for black women mm-hmm. and so you know nipsey can again i don't i don't want to say much because he he did pass away but i right. think it comes down to not valuing black women and believing that if you act like one, how disgusting are you? 
And the fact that this other woman, when she sees this comedy, the, the first thought is, why are you acting like a ghetto black woman? What does that mean? These it's people just, are just oh, being yeah. funny. Like, why, why Madea gotta be ghetto? Mm-hmm. She's mm-hmm. just from, you know, from what Tyler Perry has described. He's just like, he reminds her, Madea was created out of, you know, emulating his aunties. Mm-hmm. We demonize yeah. these women because they're emulating essentially what we hate, which is black women. I think that that's what it comes down to. And I think the second thing that it comes down to is how do we look to white people? What impression are we making on the whites? And I don't know how we still give a shit about that. Internalized racism. And I think with what you're saying, it's so true because, you know, if Tyler Perry had a role, maybe if he was you know, doing like a a posh white man from England with the English accent, you know, mm-hmm. it made the response would be different. But yes, yeah, specifically saying a ghetto black woman, mm-hmm. right? Like that's just, and, and I do think it's internalized racism. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, unfortunately, we, we are still having this conversation of how how much we do not value black women and because because black men don't have power where white people are concerned i think black women are the next best thing mm-hmm. and then black it's... women do to each other you know so, and then black women we we then in turn do it to each other we start saying well she's ghetto exactly. and i'm proper i'm married exactly. I'm, I have my shit together. She's a single mom. But yeah, yeah. white people look at you and look at me. They don't know who has baby mama drama and who doesn't. Yes, exactly. They will assume it anyway. Yes, exactly. And that's the saddest part is with things like internalized racism, you know, you don't even need the white man, the white woman in the room for us to still have those conversations for, you know, the impact to still be carried. And that's like, it's like the worst devil, mm-hmm. you know, it just shows you the extent of evil and power mm-hmm. that all these things, like you were saying with colonialism and slavery and all this still really, really had on the psyche and how it, it just gets carried into our culture, right? Into our conversations, our music, the way we raise children, the, the way we treat each other, all of these things. Mm-hmm. It all comes down to that. And it's, I think sometimes I get very depressed because if we were to talk about how we are going to effect true change in our community, we really have to stop wondering, like, this thing of like, like when Monique, uh, I don't know if you saw that video of Monique with the bonnets, for example. Monique did a video mm-hmm. where she said that you black women who wear bonnets, she just saw a black women at the airport. Oh, right. Recently, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wearing a bonnet and like how you're not a queen and you need to carry yourself as a queen and all that bullshit. <sighs> Once again. <laughs> <laughs> Can you stop hating black women? 
<laughs> exactly. Please, like, like, I just, why are we police? Have you seen me when I'm going to Uganda? Hey, <laughs> you won't even recognize me. I'm wearing socks, literally in open shoes. Uh, of course. I'm, I'm wearing like my ch- ch- uh, Kitenge bonnet, okay? <laughs> Listen, I'm wearing like a t-shirt, sweatpants. I look like, first of all, they want to undress you when they're checking you. Why would I come and do myself? Exactly. <laughs> they check, they undress you. They are saying, take this off, take that off, take that off. Mm-hmm. you have mm-hmm. to be comfortable and flying for me i don't know about other people but flying is the worst thing for me in the world i hate it mm-hmm. okay. i mm-hmm. i just i don't like being on planes i like to get there you know when i'm finally there i'm like whoa yes but i hate being yeah. on planes i don't like it so yeah, i'm going to yeah. make sure that i'm the most comfortable that i can be mm-hmm. and nobody be talking to me when they have their do-rags at the airport or like what the exactly. hell yeah and and white women with their messy bonds yeah the style or you know um let's say something even like revealing clothing right nudity things like that on white women can be seen as empowerment mm-hmm. right as her femininity as all of these things where you know that's not being policed to the same extent, I would say. Because we've sexualized and we've sexualized black bodies. And when Megan Estallion, you know, she's yaddy, 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 whatever the hell song, it's, oh, what is her responsibility to all the children in the world? Exactly, yes. Yeah. Is Is she the mother of your child? (laughs) <laughs> but when, when Chelsea Handler does a cover of I would rather whatever what is that thing they always do for PETA I would rather be naked oh, than meat yes, yes, I yes, hate yes. that campaign with a passion but anyways because when exactly. Jada Pinkett did the same thing or someone else it was like ah with all the, with Jaden and, and, and Willow wow <laughs> But nobody's talking to Chelsea Handler. Nobody's talking to, you know, all these other white women. It's like, yes, she showed us she another side. Or like when, 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 um, there was a black woman who had cancer and she, she posted like her scars. We didn't need to see it. You didn't have to. You didn't. But white women have been doing that. They've been taking pictures of their breast cancer scars. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. You know, and I could go on and <sighs> on, but it really just comes down to, I wish that black people will, will realize that white people, they will just hate you anyway. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> they just will. And that's They'll hate you or they'll like fetishize or however you say that word. Yeah. They, they, they will just have their, they won't see you for who you are. No. They created. That's why you can't let them. That's why you can't let them define you. At all, at all, like, and I don't know. Like, it's so depressing to think that there, there are black people out here still with the mental, with the internalized racism, with you know, wanting to be a certain way so that white people can accept. But white people are the they're the ones who created what you're going through now. 
but I was going to say, that's why we need therapists and that's why we need black therapists. And if it can't be a black therapist, then somebody who is trained and has this understanding, mm-hmm. right? Because you, these are the type of things that can be easily not discussed in therapy. Yeah. Um, easily be taken and, you know, end up fitting some of the symptom criteria for disorders, mm-hmm. right? And someone can be medicated, like not properly understood and treated. So it needs to be a conversation between therapists, between psychologists, med- uh, mental health professionals, and also in the therapy room with clients themselves. But yeah, again, you know, how do we get more black people into therapy too? Yeah. Well, this brings me to my next question. We We've talked about therapy and therapy is very white. But when I say that, can you explain to our listeners, like, what does that mean when, when I say therapy is very white? So my understanding of that is, A, the, the you know, the, I know, like, the term that people might use is it's white bodies, right? So the, the clients, the clinicians tend to be more white. Mm-hmm. Um, also the theories that we are being taught, that we are drawn from, the models that we are encouraged to use to make treatment plans, those are a lot of them are created by definitely white men, but now, you know, in more recent years, also white women. Mm-hmm. Um, therapy also can, you know, and so even within that way of thinking and being trained as a therapist, it can come from some of the ideas of individualism, kind of like what you touched on before with uh, community and collectivism. Mm. And then also the idea that if you are not, the further away you get from being a straight, white, heterosexual, um, cisgender, Anglican, um, able-bodied, you know, person with a, you know, English or Canadian or American accent, like all these things, the further away you get from that, the further you are from being normal. Mm-hmm. And the further you are from being normal, the more you are likely to face discrimination. So you can start to experience distress. You can lack some of the basic human needs of acceptance and connection. And these are things that will increase your likelihood of experiencing symptoms of or being diagnosed with things that would fit the mental health disorders in the DSM. That's the book that we use to diagnose. So that's where therapy is very white, mm-hmm. right? Because it's looking at that as the standard. And if you fall away from that, you will likely experience things that will actually create mental health problems and also you know, fit the diagnosis of there's something wrong with you because you're not fitting this. And in terms of therapy itself, uh, let's talk about when you're in the room with your therapist and the way that, you know, the way that your issues are discussed, for example. I'll give you an example. A white woman comes to a therapist and she says, my husband, he was... He was physical with me. I know my rights. He absolutely has no right to ever touch me. 
and you know but i i was i was obviously traumatized by what he did but i know my rights and i know that and you know right now he's actually sitting in jail i called the police mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and then on the other side of the room you have a black woman mm-hmm. in the in the exact same situation however most likely she's going to say who's the father of my kids i cannot he can't go to jail you know i have to stay for the kids because you know and how will it look to my community if, right if i if i'm a divorced woman right. the bible says that thou shall not divorce mm-hmm. your husband and if anybody ever marries me according to the bible i'm committing adultery mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but then they, these two people both have um the same therapist who has learned mm-hmm. the white way to be a therapist in school mm-hmm. why is it important for this therapist to have to to sort of do therapy differently when he is talking to this black woman who is obviously coming at it as a black woman as a woman with you know who who comes from that culture but also as a christian woman who is mm-hmm. that she has to also live a life that's pleasing to god but when we're actually thinking about it in actual sense it's it's harmful right how can we what does therapy look like and why is it important for the therapist to do the therapy differently with the, with the black woman as opposed to the white woman even though they're coming from um the same circumstance the one area um that i can start with to answer that is because the most important ingredient for change in the therapy room mm-hmm. is the therapeutic alliance the relationship between the therapist and the client if that relationship isn't there you could be a legend in therapy mm-hmm. you will not be able to provide as much help as you could as someone else as you could if that if that connection had been there does that make sense like yeah. the relationship is more important than the skills that you have okay so, yes yes sorry i said it in a, in a confusing way so if the therapist who's been trained in the white way approaches the black client without an understanding not even just an understanding but with a respect and value for her decision for her mindset for her values and her beliefs mm-hmm. it will impact the relationship between the two of them mm-hmm. it's so important for your clients to feel seen heard validated empowered right and from the way that we are trained you know the white way of thinking my experience my belief is that this black woman would be seen as she could be seen as resistant she could be seen as she could frustrate the therapist she could she could trigger the therapist's own areas she could be seen as um suffering more they might pity her mm-hmm. you know all of these things that again is going to impact therapist behavior and just the energy in the room and you know i believe women especially black women have strong intuition she'll feel that 
you could take her on a journey that I think could actually bring bring ethics into question. We have to think about ethics as professionals. So if you are using your power as the, the therapist, the person with authority in the room, or the psychologist, the person with authority in the room, Mm-hmm. To try to guide her towards putting her husband in jail or something that aligns more with your personal beliefs or cultural values, that calls into question ethics. Mm. Right? But if you truly respect and see her way of thinking, her lifestyle, her worldview mm-hmm. equally as right as the white woman's, Right, then you're you're in a more safe area ethically, and you can and you can help her much more. Yes, yes, that makes sense. Okay, when you so you're saying that it's it's not that the therapy like that you learned in school necessarily has to be different. It's just that you have to value her story the same way that you value the, the black woman's story from from her perspective basically and it, I it think has so. to sort of come and it has to get away from yourself essentially yes it has to get away from yourself and but it it also has to get away from some of the rigid the rigidity Mm-hmm. in the theories that you're taught because if you if she were to tell you her story you might see things that aren't actually there you might mm-hmm. be like oh my gosh this is how abusive he is yes he has completely manipulated her mm-hmm. she is you know what i mean because of her mindset you might look at it differently than it is mm-hmm. And that's where I mean you might perceive her as being more resistant to change, resistant to therapy, mm-hmm. or you might see her as suffering more than the white woman because you're like, oh my God, she is so much more in denial of this, you know? Yeah. And so that could lead you to, to having other conclusions and you go off on a whole other place where, you know, like for example, um, this is just a quick example of how this happened. So we, we meet with supervisor and other students bi-weekly in our master's degree it's called the internship seminar and we get to present on a client so it's called a case presentation say this is you don't give names or too much detail but this is the client is what they're going through you show a little clip of you in the therapy room with them and there was a situation where it was a one of the students a white girl or white woman choosing a black client and the black client lived with two brothers mm-hmm. and single mom mm-hmm. and the mom and the daughter the daughter's the client mm-hmm. shared a bedroom and the brothers got their own rooms and so the people in my class of course all white people they're going off on this whole thing of wow the mom must uh value the boys more Wow, maybe the mother is being inappropriate in the bedroom mm-hmm. with the daughter. Like, just going into this area. And I'm like, can we calm down for a second? Yeah. What if yeah. 
what she's a she's a single mom she has three children children are hella expensive she's living in this area what if she can only afford a three-bedroom right now with her budget right and she you know with the laws in canada around you know male and female uh, sharing bedrooms right like at a certain age you're not allowed to share a bedroom uh, brothers and sisters can't share bedrooms i did not right? know Good to know. Yes, yeah. And I don't know if it's the same with mother and son, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. But I know that that's the thing. So I'm like, what if it's just that? What if it just makes sense in that way? Mm-hmm. Right? So it's like you can, I thought the annoying thing with people who are academics, and I put myself in that category too, you know, academics and, and clinicians were like, you just go like to such extremes when it's like, okay, common sense, maybe it's something like this. So yeah, anyways, going back to what you had asked, it can, it can, you can miss what's actually going on. Mm-hmm. There. And, and maybe she would leave. Maybe she would leave, but this black woman would say, yeah, I'm not going to keep coming to these sessions because mm-hmm. um, if you don't actually truly understand and see me and respect mm-hmm. the love of my life, respect my family, respect our choices too. You got to yeah. be careful that i like that i like it and and the thing is i'm I'm just thinking like how many white therapists are going to take the time to understand how much culture religion uh blackness has to do with how black people navigate their way around the world they they don't in in my experience trying to have this conversation in the schools with professors themselves. Mm-hmm. They don't understand it to the degree that they need to. No. Like they they see it as like I don't know how, what what we could compare it to, but they don't if you and, and and like with what you're saying, culture like white supremacy, they don't understand what that actually does to the psyche of people, mm-hmm. to their minds. And they, and therefore, they don't really care about, I would say most people, they don't really care about these conversations. They don't understand the weight of therapists needing to understand this before yes. they have clients who aren't white. Men. Yeah, and so it's, this it's means that we would have to, I, I'm just picturing a scenario where you're talking to the dean of U of T and being like, so, sir. <laughs> Or man, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you mind just adding the cultural pieces to the the, the counseling psychology masters, or mm-hmm. I don't even know how that conversation would go, you know. Yeah. And I I went to the worst school ever, which is U of T. U of T is very much uh very 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 like you think white, but U of T is like we are white and we are white and we are concerned. yeah. And that's what we are. You don't like it, don't come to our school. Um, my next question is, so I go to therapy. I say this all the time. Um, I've been going to therapy since I was a teenager. Not consistently on and off. Um, I've, mm-hmm. had, I've had some horrid experiences with psychiatrists. Of course, because a lot of, they're not, a lot of them aren't actually trained in counseling. Yeah, I've, so they, I've had they, some... No bedside men are assholes. I'm sorry. No, none. <laughs> <All of> them, <laughs> but like, um, but, but it's the same thing with professors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just, I've had some terrible... And I'm like, did that 
the good thing that has helped me throughout my life is I'm also rude. I will be like, okay, you don't need to be my doctor, then bye. <laughs> and then yeah. I go back to my family. I remember I had this psychiatrist who was like, well, you just need to go on Symbolta. I'm like, why? What is Symbolta? <laughs> what is it? You just need to go on it. it. It it matches what you're going through. I'm like, how do you know what I'm going through when when you have not even talked to me? Exactly. And then she's like, well, I spoke to your family doctor. And I was like, okay, so now my family wow. doctor is me, right? Because wow. you came and read one essay. Now you you have me figured out. You're not my psychiatrist anymore. And I Good. walked out of her office and I was literally like 18 years old. <laughs> Good for you. And I, went, and I told my family doctor, I was like, so first of all, she's a bitch, okay? <laughs> and she tried to tell me that she knows me based on the essay that you sent her. She didn't even allow me to talk. And she's already telling me about Symbolta. And I just remember my family doctor being like, Janine, <sighs> just, <sighs> she was just, she's been tired of me, you know? She's white? Yeah. She's <sighs> all like retired, but she's been my family doctor since I was 12. Since I just came into Canada. And she's just like, ah. Oh. Okay, we'll we'll try another psychiatrist, okay? Okay. <laughs> and so then she referred me to another one in Oshawa. Mm-hmm. Same thing. He was trying to I mean you can't first of all you can't tell me what to do. I'm the one who's telling like and then I went back to him like mm, he doesn't work either. <laughs> and she's like oh, oh my gosh, Jane. Mm-hmm. And No, but like <laughs> there, it's you gotta you need to shop around for the fit. Like what I was saying, the relationship is incredibly important. Yeah, you gotta shop around till you find it. And uh, finally, um, close to my thirties, I finally <laughs> referred me. Actually, not her. The person who replaced her uh, referred me to a psychiatrist who is he's amazing. I okay. I'm like, wow. And I remember, um, because I hadn't right when my mom died, I didn't really have therapy in that way. Um, mm-hmm. the funeral home, because I was under 25, they were like, you know, we are required by government to like provide this, this, this. But I, I was, I didn't like the therapist. They were just, so first mm-hmm. of all, the first thing he said was like, oh, so I see that your mom died. And I was like, okay, <laughs> we're done. <laughs> I never went back. Mm-hmm. And then I remember mm-hmm. he asked me and I'm like, you never say my mother died. That's so rude. Mm-hmm. I don't know mm-hmm. you like that. You better mm-hmm. say passed away, went to be yeah. with the Lord, something yeah. else. I only get to say that because it happened to me. Yeah, um, I like that. Yeah. And I just, yeah, I never went back. But all this to say, you know, therapy came at a time when I really, really needed it. Like I was, I was kind of spiraling. I had actually reached a point of considering like euthanasia because the pain was wow. so, the pain was so extreme. I didn't know what to do with it. When mm-hmm. you lose your parent, I don't know what to, I don't know how to explain that. It's, it's an incredible pain that I cannot describe. 
Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's some it's a pain that is with you when it just happened all day, every day, every second of every minute of every day, you are just sitting in agony. Mm-hmm. And I had done that, I think, for, for two years. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And I looked into those options. And I think I had found that it was something that was legal in, like, New Zealand or something. Right. And yeah. I was like, maybe. Like, mm-hmm. and I, I went into my family doctor and I'm like, honestly, if you don't approve me for this, I think I qualify because I'm, I'm going through, like, extreme agony right now. Mm-hmm. And she's and I'm like, if you don't, then I'm gonna have to look into countries that do because I was conflicted because suicide is a sin as a Christian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and also let's be real, like I don't have good pain tolerance. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. all the options, I was like, okay, now if I fall, but I'm like, hmm, you know, God, He will make me live, but I'll break all. <laughs> in my eyes who knows all my teeth everything what can be funny like that you know (laughs) just googling the suicide hurt (laughs) you know i literally googled like okay so then i i found this website that was like ways to commit suicide and i was like okay so no i cannot follow anything Mm -mm, that's not an option and then I was like, okay, hanging. Mm-mm. No, pain around my neck. No, no, no. I was like, okay, take pills. Ah, which pills? Who's going to give the pills to me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> How am I going to tell my doctor, please, can you give me these pills so I can die? Like, nobody's going to approve that. That's not an option. And then it was like, you can concoct different products. Like, they were like, if you put Dawn, dishwasher so- soap with some I'm like ew no mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm not doing that either <laughs> so I went down the list and there was just no option so the next thing I was like I just told my doctor and I'm like I can't I'm I'm in serious agony I don't mm. know what to do with myself so you you need to approve this she mm-hmm. said right, right now in Canada we're not approving anything because Right now, mental health is not a factor that they're considering for right. um, assistance in dying. Mm-hmm. And she's like, but please just give me one more chance. And I will refer somebody. That referral took one year. Oh, my gosh. Because um, it, it was a psychiatrist. Yes. Yes. The wait list for so long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That referral took a year. And I finally got a psychiatrist and a therapist and and you know and i've been with those people ever since but all this to say like if i can save of course i had to put the effort and i've I've had to attend therapy right Mm -hmm. in order for the work to be done right right Mm -hmm. but therapy changed my life and it like really saved me from making a permanent decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I still, of course, a big part of my brain still does believe that when you die, then you're okay. Like, you're done. The problems are finished. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I still, I still, I still believe in a big way that when my mom passed away, that was 
that was like, you know, she was done. She doesn't have to worry about anything anymore. She's gone. Right. She doesn't have mm-hmm. to worry about what's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. The burden of what happened to her is on me and the people that loved and, and cared about her. Right. And mm-hmm. I think that that's what death does. It's not really so much on the person that died as much as it is on the people that are that are left. And I guess my question is, how important do you believe therapy is, especially for in the context of black people? Because not only do we have generational trauma, but we, we grief is a big thing that we go through mm-hmm. that our parents have experienced war. Yeah. How important do you think therapy is in this conversation with not just us, you know, people that are our age, millennials and Gen Zs, but also for the for the for the uh, older community as well? It is so so important. Like I can't stress it enough how important it is for people, and efforts specifically talking about black people to go to therapy. I think, I, I, I mean, it might be too extreme to say this, but I'm kind of hesitant to say it's even more important for, for men because of how they are socialized, how they act in relationship with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for women, you know, you and, you and I might have had these type of conversations when we were 13 years old. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's a bit different. Yeah. Or, or or like, you know, with your your parent, your mom, right? Or mm-hmm. you know, maybe aunts, grandmothers, that type of thing. So I think for people to give themselves not just a space where they can talk, but with somebody who is trained and mm-hmm. qualified personally and professionally mm-hmm. to give you that space. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, I, uh, you know, and I think that Uganda Mata's church uh, tried to do this. I don't. I feel like maybe you don't remember because we were really young. Mm-hmm. But there was an event, a mentoring event. I won't say which mm-hmm. auntie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I actually think I remember this. <laughs> I remember this. I it think was, so. It was all of us. It was me, you, Rowena, C, yeah, yeah. You were all the yeah. all the UG, um, youth, Mark, everybody was there. My yeah. brothers were there. And it, this was guys, this was a mentorship event. It was youth and it was the millennials. Not millennials at that time were I can't remember who those were, but we were we were like teens at the time. Yeah, so, but it yeah. was like all the Ugandans, all the generations there, mm-hmm. and we were. I remember I was teamed up with this table of aunties. <laughs> Everybody was teamed up with, you know, some someone who is an auntie or an uncle. Mm-hmm. And I remember this auntie standing up. This is the era of before I continue. This is the era of like you remember when when bo- guys would wear black guys would wear like. The big shirts. I knew you were going to say it, the tall yeah. tees or whatever. Yeah, yeah, the big shirts, the ludicrous, <laughs> the cornrows, yes. you know, that, yes. that. The, what is that thing called? Tying balas, as Ugandans call it, or low riding, as Canadians mm-hmm. call it. Mm-hmm. And she stood up and she oh, said, I miss it. 
The Air Forces. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. She goes, I don't understand you young people. Gosh, of course, of course. Uh-huh. Don't this, is, this, is, this is how you're going to connect. This is how you're going to yeah. connect with these. That mm-hmm. was the first thing she said. I will never forget this until I'm like, because it was the most outrageous thing I've ever heard. I still hate that auntie, by the way. Um, she goes, I don't understand you young people. You, you walk into church. You wear, you dress like thugs. Eh? You wear clothes as if you just came out of prison. What do you expect white people to think? Oh my. Even me, if I was a police officer, I would arrest you. You look like a criminal. And she pointed at Auntie Alice's child and said, look at how you're dressed. What do you expect? What do you expect white people to think when they see that? Look at what you're wearing. Pull up your pants. Hmm? That's why they, they, they there's so much violence. Because people are, you, you look at yourselves. Eh? You're embarrassing your parents. Couldn't <laughs> believe it. I was waiting for someone to be like, Madam, shut up. You don't, you don't even know what it's like to give birth. Shut up. Nobody said anything. And then she went through the black boys in that mentorship. And she talked about each and every one of them. And how much they were not worthy. And how they deserve to be harassed by the police. The only thing she didn't say is they should shoot you. Oh my gosh. But everything else she said. I love your memory. Now I don't remember this part. No, I was <laughs> sh- Like, and then there was another, this was less intense, but there was another part where, you know, they were complaining, they were complaining. You people, you don't tell us anything. You hide everything from us. You're not open. You're not this. And then Rowena was like, but how? <laughs> how should we be? <laughs> trust Rowena. Oh, trust Rowena. I just remember Rowena being like, how can we be open? How can we be? Please. You, you shout at us at the, like, if we're like, I think she gave an example, like, when I ask for the AC to be put on because I'm hot, you yell at me. <laughs> How am I supposed to be open about the fact that I have a boyfriend or that I'm, you know, I have a male that is a friend? How? Yeah. And I can't even be, oh, I'm scared to ask you to put the AC on in the summer. Oh, and you know what? In my work as a therapist, a lot of, if not all, but the, the youth, and the children that I see, mm-hmm. when I'm talking to them, when I'm listening to them, when their parents come in for a session, I'm like, your mom is the one who should be here. Or your dad is the one who should be here. Yeah. Because, you know, it's like just putting it all on the kid and not realizing your role in it. Or not realizing you're the one who's more sick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And. Yeah. It's so I mean, sad. All, all this to say, like, how, how can we introduce a conversation with that type of generation? Not to say that what you're saying is wrong, because, I mean, it is wrong, let's be real. Mm-hmm. But to say, okay, we all need healing. How are we going to introduce these conversations about therapy? with that type of generation yeah 
that is like <laughs> it's even harder than doing it with with you know black men around our age yeah because there's there's so many things of what is depression you know what i mean like yeah <laughs> what do you know about stress do you and I, the, <laughs> me i used to drink porridge with salt hmm? because it yeah, i mean you could not buy sugar my mother is coming <laughs> I, me and my, and my siblings, we had to just get salt and put in the porridge because you could not leave the house to buy sugar. They would shoot you. And I'm like, why did you just drink the porridge? Why did you have to put salt? <laughs> yeah. That's a whole nother conversation. But it's like, it always goes, goes back to, but, you have no idea what I've been through. And so if we acknowledge the fact that you've been through a lot, why can't we also acknowledge the fact that, yes, let's have a conversation about it? Because I know you know that you've been through a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, it's kind of, again, with the meeting people where they're at. So maybe a place to start, you know, is people in mental health partnering with, Pastors, for example, you know, mm. because some of these aunties and uncles, they have so much respect for what the pastor has said. Mm-hmm. So maybe you can go that angle or, you know, sometimes when you're, it's nice, like I, I tr- can use it to my advantage in work. If I'm working with a child or a youth and you just say to the family that, you know, I think it'd be really helpful for your kid if you were to all come in today. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of, you know, you just keep going through the back door gently, subtly, mm-hmm. doing little things to also reach out to the whole family, right? And there's always people who are more resistant. Mm-hmm. And then there's people who can, you know, be a little bit more open and, you know, kind of admit, oh, that was nice. Or I think there's, I need help too. Or, you know, the people who have more humility or self-awareness or an open mind in that generation who can respond. But I definitely think as, again, being a realist, I think some people generationally are lost causes and I don't put it on their heads or in their hands. I think it's the societies, the systems that they were a part of. Mm-hmm. It just, it was like, that's only for people who are mad people, like, like yes. you know, people who are extreme. They think that's who needs to be in therapy. And they don't, there's the ignorance or the denial or the shame. I don't need that. Right. Mm -hmm. And and a lot of it is, I think, just ignorance, not people not actually knowing, you know, what goes on in the therapy room. Right. So they wouldn't, they'd be like, why would you say I need that? Why should I pay, you know, $100, $200 for somebody, you know, tell me I'm stressed. I know I'm stressed. You know what I mean? So, Mm. yeah. Hmm. I like this idea. I like the idea of community with uh, academics mm-hmm. partnering up and saying, you know what, let's, it doesn't even have to be that serious, you know, let's have a conversation. Mm-hmm. I'm a big believer in conversations heal. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that if we continue to talk, I think that healing happens that way. If we can yes. start talking as, as a community, as a people, 
I think that will change our lives and how we believe yes. about ourselves. Yes. Yeah. When I was growing up, there was, there was like, ah, you're too talkative, you're too this and you're too that. But I think talking helps. <laughs> my my father literally hates that is the worst part of me that he's like ah, ah, every time you're talking <laughs> but um, like talking is good yes we, we 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 share when when you know the the weight is off the more that we talk mm-hmm. so important exactly. yeah and you know, I like what you're saying, how it doesn't need to be that serious. It can be a conversation, mm-hmm. right? So I know in our home, especially my dad loved reading, you know, the monitor, new vision, the newspapers, right? From back home. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what about starting the conversation there? Somebody writing a piece there. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe, and you know, especially from cultures, from my understanding of Ugandan culture and so many cultures, Mm-hmm. in this world especially in africa where status prestige right mm-hmm. so having a conversation with someone who people are going to look at look to yeah. right or or having you know not so much now but when we were younger how people in the 90s early 2000s loved oprah so Ooh. even dr phil right like that opened up a lot of people's eyes or putting a piece in the o magazine or whatever mm-hmm. her magazine was Right. I saw recently on YouTube, you know, getting away from black culture, but younger generations, they've been doing um, on different mental health platforms on YouTube. They've been doing interviews with Kendall Jenner about her anxiety, mm-hmm. which is wonderful because people, they want to, they want to see the girl going to the grocery store. So if she's going to spend 10, 15, 20 minutes talking about anxiety, that that's also a way of starting conversation. If she says she goes to therapy, others might look at it. So. So I think mm-hmm. applying the same thing with older generations, like where are they looking and let's stand there too, but doing yes. it in a, in, a, in a delicate way. Like, like how you were saying with the guy on Instagram, <laughs> you have to do it delicately. <laughs> I I know that now I really did believe I'm like, yeah, I've, I've changed. I'm doing better, you know, but I, <laughs> but it makes sense. Of course you don't, you don't, I, I can't imagine if my therapist was just like, so Jane, you're fucked up. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, it's like let's be real. You're fucked up, and honestly, it's going to take me some time. Yes, <laughs> to do yes. the work on you. But I see what you're saying, and it makes sense. My last, really, not my my second last question. Um, I know I don't want this to end, but it's late for you. <laughs> let's talk about access we've we've talked about therapy to death we've talked about intergenerational trauma and mm-hmm. we obviously both you and i both understand the importance of therapy and why it has to be specific right. for not just black people black brown indigenous individuals as well because of the history of trauma and the underlying issues and then the culture and things like that now mm-hmm access we know that the people who have experienced intergenerational trauma people who tend to be living with these things Mm -hmm. also tend to not have that many resources available to them right so i don't know 
And what does when when I say access, what comes to mind? Who is who's getting in the door, and who's going to be sitting in the therapist chair? So, and and also who is going to be yeah. So like the the access for people to become clients and for people to become therapists. Mm-hmm. The bear and what are the barriers to that, right? So one thing that, I mean, I wish I was more of like a political type of person mm-hmm. and I need to, to grow in this area because one thing I think is so important is for us to keep pushing for therapy to be funded, right? Yeah. So like using, you know, your, your health insurance, your OHIP out here, we call it your, what is it, the care card or whatever in BC. Using that, it should be covered, right? Yeah. And so that's kind of like a, a bigger picture of how access can be. There can be more access for people and also just information about different options, you know, to get some help, mm-hmm. right? Like you don't need, there's, there's therapists out there who are willing and who are looking to, to give all sorts of rates, right? So there's therapists who can, who might charge you $200. There's some who will, who will charge $60. Mm-hmm. If you're willing to see an intern, a student, you know, with experience, you could, yeah. like, I mm-hmm. started in 2018 as an intern. I mean, as a practicum student, 2019, I started as an intern. So, you know, there would be people who, who I would see for, for $10. $15, you know, and, and there's so many different ranges, but not everybody knows that. Mm-hmm. So that also can, you know, prevent and access. Also, yeah. And then the last thing in in terms of like, not everybody is able to or is best in an environment where they're just sitting, making eye contact and talking to another person, right? Mm-hmm. Access in that way is if you're trying to fit everybody in this one way of doing counseling, you're going to limit so many other people. One of the good things with, you know, video, like telehealth, but, you know, which is the phone and the technology, bringing that into health, healthcare. Now we, we have Zoom. It makes so much more access, but there's organizations where, you know, especially with youth where you don't sit down with them, you can take, it's called, there's an organization in BC called Take a Hike. And you do outdoor activities. Some therapists, you know, we can go and take a walk and have coffee, walk around the building. So that is more different type of people. It's bringing more access, mm-hmm. um, which is really needed. Yes. And, and as you were talking, I was just thinking maybe even changing the language around therapy because maybe that is also like a triggering word. Yes, exactly. For, for yeah. Diff- communities when we say things like therapy mental health yes that's um, why we changed it from patient to client yeah. in the yeah. states i think they still they still do patients and some canadian psychologists therapists here still say uh, patient but yes it's it's less triggering to be like oh i'm a client yes yeah. yes mm-hmm. and also incorporating like for when we're talking about therapy for the older Ugandans, for example, maybe it could be like a praise and worship, or we could call it a fellowship. Um, <laughs> so we, true. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, we are going to it's be true. at 
Uganda Matters, we are hosting a fellowship. Yeah, exactly. And a meeting. Have, yeah. Well, uh huh. <laughs> I'm going for a meeting. <laughs> My usual. <laughs> yes. Yes. We'll have exactly. chai and mandazi. Um, yes. We'll just yes. Sit with pasta so and so and there's yes. this and that. And yeah. we're just going to talk. Exactly. We're going to talk. And, and I've, I've had these conversations in, in a church realm. I've talked about the importance of, because it is in the Bible. The Bible says, confide with your brother and sisters when you are going through difficulty. Mm-hmm. God understands. I've mm-hmm. always tried to relay that message that you are not surprising God when you have issues. Mm-hmm. He understands mm-hmm. that, that life is tough and that's why he talks about going through the narrow gate. And he, the Bible yeah. talks about how difficult it is to go yeah. through the narrow gate. Mm-hmm. And time and time again, in the letters that Paul writes, he says, please like talk to each other, pray together yeah. because they, they get it. They know guys, Apostle Paul knows. <laughs> Don't yeah. let people get in your head. God <laughs> and, and his apostles know that this is needed. And so when I talk to young people, in that, in that way, when I used to be like a youth, I don't want to say minister because I'm not qualified, but when I mm-hmm. used to do like youth work in the church, mm-hmm. I incorporated that, the Bible and finding Bible verses that talk about the importance, not necessarily of therapy, but of having conversations and in turn saying like conversations heal. They do when we talk yes. and we share. It it takes uh, it chips away at the weight of on your shoulders, and I think yeah, I think therapy has to change in the sense of like just understanding. Like I know in the indigenous community, I attended a conference in Thunder Bay years ago, and it was just sitting around a fire, and they did different prayers, different mm-hmm. I believe gods, if I'm correct, mm-hmm. and it was the way that they they uh they would light like something and then they would they would say like you know just blow it away blow the bad vibes away blow um whatever it is whatever strife you're going through and that was such a healing factor for them because that yeah. fire represented that blowing that smoke represented that healing was happening within their bodies yeah but that is yeah. going to take effort, of course. <laughs> so I think, I don't know. I think, I think governments, people in power have to be committed to that, unfortunately, which I don't know that they will be. And it's, it, it like brings us back to where we were talking earlier about like when you're saying, what do you mean about therapy is white, right? White in white culture, you know, the things that are considered to be right and valuable mm-hmm. um, or respected mm-hmm. is things you know that fit science, things yes. that are very objective, things that are very you know their standard or idea of what is professional. Mm-hmm. So the risk involved, or I think some of the hesitance involved for people in this field to be more open to other approaches is to lose respect mm-hmm. in 
in the face of other academics and other professions and in the government. So if mm-hmm. we're like, yeah, we're therapists, but we do it like this. We bring this in, we're more laid back, we're more open, we're more this. It makes it harder to do things that are required to get funding, right? Mm-hmm. There's like that. There's been, it, with the history of psychology, mm-hmm. there's been this strive to be respected mm-hmm. by scientists. Right. So if we kind of become more like the arts and humanities, there's that fear. Right. And then, you know, there's not going to be the funding. We won't be able to do the research study. The research needs to be controlled because then we can prove that this is effective and then we're actually helping and healing. You know what I mean? Just that whole way of thinking. The further we get away from that, the people who are seen as being in power or worthy of holding the money, you know, maybe they won't stretch their hand towards us so i think that's like the the balance that that people are trying to especially the people higher up mm-hmm. are trying to to maintain or like the some of the policies that they're held to where you know the therapist might want to do that they might say this is what's actually healing this is what's going to help my client but my organization my supervisor um, or their parents won't let me do it. So right. that's like where the politics is in love. Mm. Oh boy. Well, then I guess we, as the community, we have to, I mean, there's grassroots organizations that are doing really good work out there. Mm-hmm. Of course, funding is a big thing. I yeah. think if Black Queens Republic, I think I, I've, I've thought about doing things like that, just doing seminars here and there for not even seminars is like a big word, but like just hosting like conversations. Mm-hmm. It would just be food, would give tokens and would just talk. I yes. really want to encourage my community to understand the power in talking like oh guys trust me i talk all the time (laughs) (laughs) and it it is so it's so so helpful um it it just i don't know i i never do anything without talking about it and i always see these things on instagram work in silence let them Mm -mm. see the results don't tell the haters no i right, want right. to work in silence i want to tell people of yes, course you, you definitely right. have to be of course guys be sensible right don't come and tell every tom dick and harry your business right, right. find find your tribe mm-hmm, find exactly. your tribe and just you know bounce ideas off of each other and we are yes. blessed with intuition so you will know when somebody's giving you bad vibes. I'm very big on like energy and vibes and my spirit. My spirit is my guide. My mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit really. I I feel it being like ah, Jane, this one. Mm. <laughs> no, <laughs> I just I just feel yeah. him yeah. being like Jane. We are not. We will not go there. Absolutely not. Yeah. It is dangerous. Some people call it intuition. Yeah. I honestly think the Holy Spirit, because I believe my body is the temple. God is in there and he is mm-hmm. guiding light. So use your mm-hmm. head, Abeg. Don't say Jane yes. told you to 
talk to everyone. Please. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Use your head. My last question is, I always ask my guests this. If you could wave a magic wand, if you could just change, if, if God was like, or whoever was like, Runji, make a wish, what would therapy look like for black people? Hmm. I love this question. I think it would look like an environment where the individual is seen. So you are being, the person is being seen for who they truly are. It's that being that one place where you know when you come into this room, when you meet with this therapist, Mm -hmm. they're going to see you. They're not going to see in who you are as an individual at your core, the essence of who you are, the, like the heart of, of, of that God gave to you, the soul, like really your being. It's Mm -hmm. not, there's not those filters of this, the stereotypes and the assumptions on either end, right? That the therapist is, is perceiving or that the client themselves feels like they need to hold up a mask, right? But that is lowered and you're seen and you're met um, in the areas where you need and in the ways where you feel connected, right? So if, you know, it needs to look like what we were saying, you know, with the, the aunties and the uncles, it's a fellowship. If that's what it needs to be, then that's where it needs to be. If it If it's going to be, um, I don't know, like, like, oh my gosh, I love what you were saying about something that brings in food. Yes. Right? Because you know we eat for everything, yeah. Exactly. And and when we have our dinners, you know, it's not a 30-minute thing, right? It can go on and on. There can be conversation and laughter, right? So bringing yes. that in. Yeah. I'm just thinking of all the Christmases at Auntie Alice's house and how, exactly. how that could be... Because uh, I've had the best conversations in her home. Mm. She just has these big dinners on Thanksgiving or Christmas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You just, you know, at the end of the dinner, she makes this like ginger tea chai. Yeah. Oh, so good. And she brings yes. the mandazi out and I know she yes. the ice cream and it's, it doesn't sound like a lot, but the healing that I experience when I, Exactly. And I hear the aunties talking about oh, those days in Tororo Girls. Oh, God. <laughs> ah, I just, yes. We used to walk from Jinja to, to Rukunjiri. We had to stop and, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. I can smell it. I can smell their house just hearing this. Yeah. yeah it's, yeah. Oh, I, it's, it's a beautiful thing. I love to see it. It is. And I think there's so much room for that to be brought into the therapy room. It, it's, and I think it's especially important, like with this magic wand, is for there to be that place for the therapist. Because I think, you know, that's somebody who has dedicated a significant portion of their life to take that role. Right. Mm-hmm. So let's, you know, 
I, I think when it becomes it, when you have, you know, some families, they have like a family meeting mm-hmm. and somebody takes on the role of the mediator. Yes. Right. Or as the, of like the counselor, someone can be like that or a wife can be like a, her husband's therapist and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some goodness in that, but I do think that there can be a lot of harm that happens. Mm-hmm. And so I think that if what I would want to see therapy for black people is more of that embrace mm-hmm. for people who are professionals mm-hmm. and as you know, professionals also have more of that embrace for all the different black communities and individuals out there. Yeah. And I'm even thinking of, because, you know, black people, a lot of the time, like we're working around the clock, around this Mm -hmm. clock. And I know that like, it could be something where if I'm ever rich, I feel like I'm going to do this. I'm going to be like, okay, black people come to this conversation, send us your pay stubs, how much you would make in the day and we'll replace it. Take the day off. I like that. We'll, yes. We'll give you the 25 an hour, the 14 an hour that you make. We'll give, we'll pay for your tokens to get back home. You have a meal, but we just want to talk to you. We want to have a conversation. I think understanding that, you know, life is also, you know, it, it's also in the way yeah. of, of this yes. being a thing. Um, if but I'm if ever, I, like, loaded, mm-hmm. um, that's, like, my dream. I just want to be like, no, it's okay. You have to work. Okay, fine. How much do you make for the day? We'll give you that. Just come out. Yes. But another way you could go about that, because I think that is so, like, I feel like I'm I'm just so lit up hearing you say that. Yeah. But another way would be working with organizations, right? Because the company should pay for that. Or they, you know what I mean? Like they should value their team, their staff. That can be part of the mental health day, right? Because yes. can push for to have more mental health days that are paid. So maybe yeah. in that time, you know, it can be, you know, either a requirement or an option that is encouraged and funded for people yes. to take the day off and do something like that in different communities. Not to be with some cheesy thing with your colleagues or your coworkers. Yeah. You know, when you're doing those stupid team building ice cream, oh, it's, um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Not like that. You can yeah. find your own place, you know, but the, but if, if somebody like yourself, you know, as a business is partnering with the company, mm-hmm. you know, they could, they could pay for their employees to do something like that. The problem, the, the thing with that is then you, people can sideline that and be like, the hell, and then they'll use it for something else. That's why, because, I mean, we've seen it, like we've seen organizations getting funding for low-income communities and then policing these families mm-hmm. and saying, we want to see your paycheck, we want to see your bank account, we want to see this. And then it turns into a thing of almost disgracing people because they need money. And yes, I, yeah. I I can see organizations doing that. Yes, yeah. I, I and I I can. But if if I was to say going to these nonprofit organizations or just 
I don't know, Facebook, whatever, and being like, hey, my name's Jane. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I want to I wanna talk to you guys. And uh, mm-hmm. if you have work, that's okay. Like, just send us your pay stubs and we'll replace your money. But we just want to mm-hmm. talk to you over food. I love and, that. Yeah, so that that way the power remains within the people. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. right? yes, I hear yeah. empl- me as, as somebody who has been employed for since I was 16, I know employers can be Satan. I, yes. They're kind of horrific people when they want yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want to see a community that, at least in their lives, that the power is, is in their hands. Yes, yes, I love that. Yeah, that's, that's the community I want to see. I want to see black people because, oh my gosh, we will be unstoppable when we realize how much power we truly do have. Oh, yes. Oh my goodness. There's so and much that, power that, in blackness, I'm telling you. Yes, for sure. And that's, yeah, where you could see how, you know, again, with access and therapy being white, you know, the, the, it's really fucked up when you think about it. Like as if white people have more of a, a right to healing, right? Mm. Because what can happen through healing? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's really fucked up when you think about it. I think it's easy yeah. to overlook it when it comes to mental health. But imagine, like, and this is probably what happens in the States, I don't know for sure. Mm-hmm. But if we were talking about physical health, like, who has more access to a hospital? You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's, it's really messed up when you think about it in that way of healing. We need, um, like, a separate episode on access. I know, man. I I'm saying I'm not ready to yeah. go, but it's so true. We have to do it again. Yeah, I think it would be really good. Just and I don't access. Know. We could discuss so many things: education, yes. healthcare, even religion. Like, yeah, yeah. and with I access mean, too, there's there's language. That's yes. a big thing too, right? That the language that the client speaks. Um, yes, accents. Yep, like I was that. about to say oh. that. Yeah. Yes, and and discrimination mm-hmm. too, because as a you know as a Therapists, there's some therapists who will say like, oh, if my client was homosexual or my client was transgender, I, I would refer them out. Mm. Right? Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, I feel like that is just so, I can't even just say wrong. I, I feel like that should be considered unethical to do that. If somebody comes to you for, for healing and you, and you discriminate in that way. But yeah, like that's another thing of, of access. And I was going to ask this, but I forgot. Do you think that we also gatekeep? There's a lot of gatekeeping when it comes to the people that can provide therapy, counseling, uh, whatever you want to call it, because don't you think some great work can happen just community driven wise? Of course, we'll do like a few training here and there. But I find that there's a lot of gatekeeping when it comes to, you know, what, who provides the help. Yes. It, I it can understand. Yeah. 
I can understand like a nurse having to because like you know I don't want random people injecting me, but mm-hmm. like for something like this, if we're talking about you know having a conversation and like someone to provide some healing, mm-hmm. why does it? And don't get me wrong, I I love I love the I don't think education is useless, mm-hmm. but if we're seeing that. There aren't a lot of black therapists. There aren't a lot of black psychiatrists. How can we then create something similar in the meantime? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So can we give community people, can we give people in the community training, like facilitator training, for example? I don't know, like how to lead a, lead a, a therapy group training. And so they would be doing that informally, but essentially, you know, teaching them like what what does AOP mean? What is client centered? How to, you know, consider mm-hmm. like cultural backgrounds when you are talking to people. Mm-hmm. Maybe the program could be like eight weeks and not six years, right? <laughs> but yeah, exactly. <laughs> like I that think- auntie at the church. How to start the conversation? Yes, how to have a conversation with an auntie who has said I deserve to be essentially <laughs> shot by the police because my genes are at my knees. I mean, oh, I will never, every time I see that woman, I just, my God, like, I've never forgotten that. I wish I knew what it was. That's too, oh my gosh, I want to say funny, but it's painful too. <laughs> I just, I honestly have always wanted to be like, Mark, um, are you good? Like, <laughs> and it's been like, it's been a smooth 15 years since that day, but it was one of the worst things I've ever heard in my life. You know, it was the worst day ever. Oh it was, God. they might as well have told us we are giving you Chiboko. Lie down. <laughs> they might as well have. It was the worst day ever. Mentorship it my really ass. Is. Oh, God, just using the word, just throwing it out there. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, those are our people. We love them. We value I know, them. I know. I know. Uh, but and that's, that's yeah. what I want to do and I'm intending to do is to to train. Like I, I want to have centers mm-hmm. where it's just teaching and training and supervising black people who want to work in the field of mental health from whatever level, from psychologists, like you're saying, a facilitator, a coach, a support worker, a student, going all, all the, a parent, you know, mm-hmm. a center that, that does that. And um, pay them a livable wage. of course, that sees clients. Sorry? Exactly. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yes. Yes. And, and also that, that sees black clients, families, because yeah, like not everybody needs help mental health right i think across the board every single person on this planet mm-hmm. needs it the same way they need to see their dentist you know to do their checkup all of these things right it's all part of your your overall well-being but that doesn't mean that we need millions of therapists or psychologists right like they are psychiatrists there's different ways to get help for your mental health and so let's create and support other rules. 
I'm, I'm also a support worker. I've been doing a support work since 2016. Mm. And as much as I enjoy that, my, my fit where I thrive is working as a therapist is especially with adults, with couples and families more than children and youth. I find, you know, so let everybody find their different people who want to be in this field do it in their, in their own way and, and to be supported. And to be like, for more people to have access to them, mm-hmm. right? Like somebody like what you're doing right now, right? Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's so many people of your listeners and future listeners, right, who can connect and and get more from this conversation than they might if they were to come see me or one of my colleagues or somebody else in the therapy mm-hmm. room, right? So we don't have to try to fit everyone into that same thing for them to get the help. Yeah, and I wanna, I wanna eventually with resources, of course, I want to host conversations. You know, that's, that's something that I'm, I'm thinking about and it will come, but I, uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of just, of just talking. I think that that's something that has been removed and, and stolen from us because I, I do believe like before colonization was a thing, that was one thing that you know we did as 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 uh, as black people we were mm-hmm. we, we are still community based but there's still a lot of hiding and eh, eh, vanna, mm-hmm. eh, just this or mm-hmm. just keep quiet i i really mm-hmm. think that before white people came and dismantled everything for us mm-hmm. we we sat around and we shared we yeah. did, um, and if you watch like those old, 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 like those like Shaka Zulu old movies, where <laughs> yeah, like yeah. at six p.m. they would, they would like beat a drum and be like, oh, village meeting," <laughs> yeah, and yeah. then they would go and they'd sit around a fire, they would eat, and they would discuss the issues in the village. Yeah, and and I and I want that back. I just yeah, white people took it, but I. I want it back. I want it back for us. Cause I, I, ah, I wish black people see their, their potential. We are capable when we are healed. Exactly. And, and, you know, with conversations, community, communication, those things are very powerful when it comes to healing. Like mm-hmm. even, you know, there's, if, if we, people who are drawn to research or who value it to say we need research to prove it. There's research that can even show that. And those are things that are signs of, of health and well-being when people are able to talk, to communicate, to connect. Mm-hmm. You know, so many people are experiencing um, ex- um, things like depression, anxiety, because of that attachment issues, inner child wounds, all of that. Because of the suppression and the loss of communication and community and connection. So I think, you know, coming, coming back to those parts of our, our culture and those more like basic or like those drives for connection and community and, and being seen and heard. It will really, really have a big impact, I believe, on mental health and well-being. I agree. I agree. Mm-hmm. Well, 
Yonji, thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Uh, this conversation has been, I don't even know the words for it, but I just, it was great. Come back, please. Anytime. You tell me when, anytime. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, I feel like this conversation of therapy has so many, as Ugandans would say, there's diversions, there are portholes. They're yes. just like we could go yes. in different directions with this conversation. I know. So touched on a lot today, but you know, thank you for coming. I wish you so much success. Again, ugh, I I love that you're a black therapist out there doing your thing, and you know thank we're you. out here like cheering for you all the way from Toronto. Oh, uh, thank you, thank you. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.